Hello, and welcome along to the third episode of this Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I'm Luke Nichols, editor of ED.net, and this week we're bringing you a very special edition of our weekly podcast. As you can probably guess, the ED editorial team are a busy bunch, and there will inevitably be some weeks when some or all of us are out of the office conducting interviews, attending industry events, or perhaps once in a while on holiday. Now, this week is one of those weeks. Later on this evening, I'm actually catching a flight out to Austria. I'm visiting a little town called Goss, just outside of Vienna, and I've actually very kindly been invited out there by Heineken, the Dutch brewer who I'm sure you're aware of. Now, during that trip, I'm going to be visiting Heineken's state-of-the-art carbon-neutral brewery, which will give some great behind-the-scenes access and some potential interviews with the company's various sustainability team members. So some of you may be thinking that I'm actually basically taking a trip to go and drink some beer in Austria, and that would be correct. But I'm also uh, going there for some work, and hopefully next week's podcast will be brought to you directly from Heineken's Brewery out there in Austria with some exclusive interviews about how that company is driving sustainability throughout its own operations and beyond. So that was a very long-winded way of saying that the editorial team aren't all in the office this week, so we won't be bringing you the full episode of the podcast today in the same round-the-table format. However, for these times when we're not able to contribute to the podcast, all of us in the same room, we'll be bringing you an ongoing series of sustainability skills specials, which will be slightly shorter in length, but will really hone in on the skills and expertise you need to do your job to the best of your ability and take the sustainability of your organisations onto the next level. So this week's Sustainability Skills Special Edition podcast features a full, exclusive interview with P&G's Global Sustainability Director, Virginie Helius. Now, personally, this is one of my favourite interviews that I've ever conducted, and the reason for that is that this really feels like more of a, a conversation than an interview, which is great, and the skills that Virginie talks about during the discussion chime really well with some of the key themes we write about on ED on a daily basis, and they echo a lot of the points made at our inaugural sustainability skills event, which we held earlier this year. Um, what also made this a great interview is that we were speaking on the eve of P&G officially announcing that bold pledge to end phosphate use from all retail and professional fairy dishwasher tablets by 2017, um, and that will significantly reduce the environmental footprint of P&G's products. So Virginia and I discuss what skills she and her sustainability team need to really drive that level of innovation, and how she's been able to convince the relevant people within the consumer goods firm that low-carbon, resource-efficient business really is the only way forward. Now, Virginie's got 28 years' worth of experience with the FMCG firm, six years, I think, directly involved with sustainability, so she really does have some great wisdom to impart. Anyway, that's enough from me. Here's that interview in full, and I'll see you next week. Hello, so here we are. Uh, we're sat in the offices of, uh, lovely offices actually, of the Hilton and Knowlton Strategies, um, big London-based PR firm. And I'm sat here in this room with uh, one of Hill and Knowlton's clients, Procter & Gamble, specifically uh, Virginie uh, Helias. Am I pronouncing that right, Helias? Yeah, um, So you're Global Sustainability Director, and I've just been told that you're, you're soon to be promoted to Vice President of Sustainability within yeah, the well, Congratulations. Nice. Yes, thank you. Um, so um, I've also just found out that you've been, you've been with p and then for actually for longer than I've been alive, which uh, <laughs> makes me feel rather inadequate. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Which> is... <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Um, thank you, first of all. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, how's things? Yeah, How great you? to be here. Yeah. Um, 
lots to talk about. Yeah. Mm. And you're usually based. In I'm based in Geneva. Geneva. That's the European headquarters for PNG. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be, be based anywhere because it's a global job. Mm. Uh, but I like Geneva. Yeah. So perhaps then, Virginia, it's best to begin with um, with a little bit about you and your team and mm-hmm. and what your role is. Can you just explain to listeners of this podcast what you do on a daily basis and how big a team team do you manage? Yeah. So perhaps best is to understand what I've been doing for those twenty three years uh, before you know being uh, on the sustainability job. Uh, so I have my background is is marketing, uh, brand building, and innovation. Twenty three years, so I've worked on. Um, many uh, categories, countries, um, all type of marketing from uh, front-end innovation to um, trade marketing. Um, and um, it was a bit serendipity, but at, uh, when I was on uh, AIL in Western Europe, I was in charge of the innovation uh, team. And uh, at the time, we had very little R&D resource, and I had to find out, and our share was uh, stable, actually, um, uh, declining. And so I had to find like a breakthrough idea that didn't require product change. So I tested many concepts. And the one that rose to the top was IL clean so well that you can wash your clothes in low temperature. And that was an immediate hit because people actually want to uh, wash in cold because they know it's better for their clothes. Yeah. Uh, but they don't trust the performance of the product to get the stands out in, in, in low temperature. So uh, by saying that, you, you actually imply that you are a better performing product. And um, what I didn't know at the time, that I learned later, is that in, in our detergent, 80% of the carbon footprint comes from the wash temperature. Mm-hmm. So actually by doing that, not only I had a great business idea that broke all share records, but also I was able to decrease the footprint of my product. And, and this is where, really where it hit me. I said, what do you mean? What just happened? You know, I was able to find this virtuous cycle of growing your business and reducing your footprint. Mm-hmm. So this is why I started being interested in, uh, in sustainability. And so I educated myself. You know, it was 2004 at the time, so it was very early days. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Inconvenient Truth a movie from Al Gore just on. And so people started uh, thinking about climate. And, um, and then I volunteered for my project. But it was still a hobby of mine. You know, my job was innovation on, on detergent. And, mm. um, and so I went to this training from WWF. It's called the One Planet Leader. And okay. so you, you learn how to lead uh, in a, a world with limited resources. And I, after that training, I said, well, I could have a much greater impact if instead of having it as 20% of my job, it was my job. Mm. And so two weeks after the train, flying to Cincinnati, asking to meet the CEO, and I said, look, I mean, I think we need to create this new position uh, in business to bridge between the science of sustainability and the business. And so, you know, connecting the dots and making sustainability a true business strategy. Mm. And, um, and I said, and you need to put me in the job. And he said, okay. <laughs> so that was 2011. 2011. And so um, uh, totally a blank sheet of paper that was hardly an expectation because really great so I could basically build a job and so that's what I've been doing for five years so how do you make sustainability a business strategy we have we used to have and we still have a big team of sustainability experts mm-hmm. uh, actually my predecessor as a VP of sustainability was a toxicologist and so mastering perfectly the science I know very little about the science but I know I know a lot about the business and the organization and my job is actually a bit more of an HR job. It's change management. 
is how do you, and especially in a, in a company where the culture is so strong, it's all you know um, uh, promotion from within. So what you what you do as a leader, you've learned as a very junior employee. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that most of our leaders haven't learned this. Unlike you know the new hires that 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 we get, who for them sustainability is like so no brainer. They've learned it, they expect it from the, the company that mm -hmm. they will work for. So it's about uh, rewiring, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the brain of our leaders, and I should say not just the brain but the heart, because mm -hmm. sustainability gets very personal. And, and my job is a lot about uh, taking people where they are uh, in their thinking, but also in their personal journey, mm. and finding ways to uh, integrate sustainability into that. Yeah, uh, actually on that then, I mean, you're quite well recognized for, for being a bit of a visionary and a leader. Um, you've got strong sort of change management, leadership skills. How important is it for you and for sustainability professionals to have those leadership skills? How how are they used to really drive sustainable change within companies like PNG? Yeah. For sustainability to become a business strategy, uh, it requires um, courageous leadership, I would say. So leadership in terms of, as you say, having the vision, you know, what it is to, to do business in a world with limited uh, resources uh, and all the major social and environmental challenges. Mm. Uh, and courage, because it is uh, a new business model. Uh, and, and for us, it's not what, what took us here, it's not what will take us there. Mm. And, and so it's really learning how to uh, integrate sustainability in every part of our business. So it's from innovation to brand building, communication, and the culture. Mm. So I'm working on all those aspects. Uh, and um, uh, it's, it's really about yeah engagement. Because when you talk about sustainability to people, intellectually, they get it. Mm. But then there is a disconnect between the intellectual case and, and uh, actually changing the way uh, they act and, and they do business and mm -hmm. making it become like a business reflex. Mm -hmm. So you have to uh, work a lot about the, the, the raw business motivators, you know, it, it has to be about uh, creating value mm -hmm. and it is when you do it right. Yeah. And um, when it comes to yeah, communicating sustainability, uh, we held a, last week we held a, a sustainability communications conference which covered all areas of that. You've got the communication upwards or on, on the board um, to get buy-in. You've got the communication outwards with other employees in an organisation. And then you've got the further one of actually communicating and engaging customers on yeah. the sustainability journey. So beginning with um, getting the board on board, um, we heard lots of things about having to almost be a good storyteller when it comes to trying to convince or persuade the people with the money to invest in sustainability. Would you agree with that, 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 that you need those skills to be able to present a compelling um, sustainability plan? 300%. Actually, when I told you that I um, met the CEO in 2011, I had 20 minutes. And in these 20 minutes, what I did, it was not like uh, stat statistics and numbers to uh, build a business case. It was 40 pictures. And what I said, I just told a story. I said, you know, this is how PNG could become uh, when sustainability is embedded. And it was stories about um, uh, current employees, you know, having taken the initiative and championing sustainability. At the time, not really being rewarded, but just following their passion and, and doing amazing change. Uh, it was about stories of, of people facing sustainable challenge uh, outside, about consumers asking for it and not being really heard. 
uh, and this is this is what it could happen if we really embrace it as mm. a business strategy. So mm. it was a story. Yeah, so a picture tells a thousand words, I guess. Absolutely. Okay, and then so then looking at a second tranche, um, being able to engage with other employees in an organisation. Is this a case of? being able to and having to wear different hats at different times depending on who you're engaging with and why you're engaging with them on sustainability? Yeah, as I said, sustainability is a very, it's a very personal thing. Mm. And so I, I say if I could get an audience with every single employee we have for 10 minutes, I could actually change much faster. Mm. So I don't have that. So I have to work with the multipliers, you know, those who will then talk. And it, it can be at all levels. And I actually have a bottom-up, and uh, top-down tactics. I mean, you need you need to have both. Mm. Um, uh, the top-down is uh, making sure that uh, our CEO is talking about it and saying that it's important, uh, which I had from the beginning because it's the CEO who gave me the job. Mm. But I very soon realized that having the support of the CEO is a very important thing, but it's not everything. Mm. And engaging uh, the people um, is uh, what's needed. And you need to do it obviously step by step you need you need to do it function by function because you don't talk the same language depending on the I mean we, we say sustainability as a, as a shortcut but it doesn't really mean anything or it means so many things so whether you talk to your operation and it's about eco-efficiency or you talk to your brand manager and it's about how do you integrate sustainability into the brand equity which is the most difficult thing to do um, or you talk to uh, just every single employee needs to be able to understand how to we we to have sustainability on their work plan. I mean, we we have something that we call the five rocks, you know, and, and from Steel and Curry, and we right. say people have to have their five rocks on their work plan. And I said, well, you need to find a way to have at least one of the rocks being on sustainability. And at first sight, it's very hard. But then when I sit them down and we talk about, it, I say, oh, actually, that is sustainability. And so that's how you change the culture from within. Oh, fascinating. Uh, it's interesting, actually, that you say that about having being, being able to have to take that bottom-up approach as well as a top-down, because just last week we interviewed uh, Ramon Arashia from Interface, Global Sustainability yeah. Director there, um, and he said the exact same thing. It was almost worth word the same in terms of being <laughs> able to take those two approaches. Yeah. So, interesting. Um, okay, so... Which sometimes is it's a bit tricky because I have this uh, community of... Uh, grassroots community of employees who kind of self-organize to be um, uh, a resource to the business. So it's passionate millennials, basically. Mm. And they say, um, you can do internal crowdsourcing with us and we'll find you ideas for your sustainability challenges. And it's great. Uh, and at some point I said, okay, I love this initiative. I'm going to make it official. But actually, they don't. They want to remain those really uh, grassroots uh, resources mm. that are very credible, very passionate, and the business can reach out to when they need uh, fresh ideas. Mm. Um, so that's, uh, you, you need to keep this level of spontaneity yeah. you know, in the organization. Yeah. Um, and on the resource efficiency front, um, big part of PNG's sustainability strategy is the circular economy. Um, last year you announced that packaging overhaul um, with brands like Ariel and Lenore beginning to incorporate recycled packaging uh, into, their, into the bottles. 230 million bottles a year made from recycled plastic packaging, which is fascinating. Um, you've also, I think, um, heard mention of um, being recycling uniforms, things like that. So for you, how, um, I mean, do you foresee a time when PNG is operating within a fully circular economy? Yeah. It's actually our vision. We don't use those terms because when we uh, developed the vision in 2010, it was not still 
what it is today in terms mm. of the language. But um, our vision is four pillars. It's basically having products that are made of 100% renewable material, recycled material, mm. fully circular. Uh, uh, manufacturing plants with 100% renewable energy. Zero waste to landfill from our plants and after consumer use. And product that um, delight consumers and minimize the use of, of resources, knowing that 70% of the PNG carbon footprint happens in the use phase because we use so much hot water. You know, mm. talk about shaving, showering, shampoos, uh, doing the laundry. Uh, this is all using hot water, mm. and this is where our footprint is. Mm. So, our vision is a circular economy vision, and, and we are actually pushing that on multiple fronts. But you, you mentioned packaging, I think it's a very um, interesting example. Uh, the, the using recycled material is kind of driving the end use applic application. But before that, you have other things that you need to do, and we are active on all those. First, you need to set up the infrastructure uh, because you can have recycle, recyclable material uh, packaging, but if you don't have infrastructure, it's kind of a mute point. And so this is why, for instance, in the US, we have we are one of the ten founding. Um, members of the Closed Loop Fund, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very interesting initiative, uh, initiative of Walmart, um, uh, which basically gives low interest or zero interest loan to municipalities to um, uh, increase their uh, recycling infrastructure. So we, we are involved in those initiatives. So first, you, you set up the infrastructure. Second, you need to work on the technology. And we are uh, working with uh, PetCore, uh, uh, European Organization for PET, um, to um, uh, harmonize the uh, tracer technology. You know, tracer technology, it, it's what helps uh, recyclers basically do a better sorting. Okay. So increase the value of the final recycled material. And so we've created this consortium uh, to, um, to do this kind of the, the barcode of recycling. Mm. Uh, so in being really in leading the technology is the second pillar. And then if you do all this and you don't have the consumer recycling, it's again a mute point. Mm. So we are doing lots of education. You know, in the, in the US, you, you have this label, which is how to recycle, that you can uh, QR code and you can exactly understand where you can recycle this product. So educating consumers is part of it. And then you drive end-use application by using recycled material in mm. your product like we are doing in our fabric and mm. care products. So it's that, that's that third tranche, isn't it? Being able to try and persuade the consumers and it's probably the hardest one that's because the it's the one, one that you're sort of most in the dark with and you're on. But you know, everything on sustainability has two aspects. is driving innovation so you make it as painful as possible for people to have sustainable behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, it's just the dial, you go from 40 to 30, it's not much actually, but even that is very difficult. You can, you can even do better than, than, uh, than that, you can actually make it totally neutral for people to have more sustainable behavior. I'll give you an example. In the emerging market, when they do hand wash, they use one bucket of water for the washing part and then three to five for rinsing. So it's a lot of water in the rinsing process. So we have this downy fabric conditioner product, which is called single rinse. So basically you use that to give more softness and perfume at the end and it cuts the sud. So instead of having three to five buckets of water for rinsing, they only use one. Mm. So it's a 30 to 50% water saving. And they don't even realize, they see that the signal 
of, of uh, washing, which is the third, has disappeared, they stop rinsing. Mm. So that's what I mean by making it as painful as possible. It's actually embedded in their innovation and they, they do it without even noticing. Yeah. Sometimes it's not always uh, possible, so you need to have the education piece. And when we do education, we always do it through the lens of our brand equity. Because I believe that that's embedded in the brand. That's the most difficult part. I mean, in the UK, we have this partnership with TerraCycle. Well, you know TerraCycle, mm, yeah. wonderful organization. Yeah. Um, and so it's for our home care products. Uh, because we have some of our products which are not easy to recycle. I mean, it's like you take a spray, the bottle is very recyclable, but the trigger head has an aluminum spring with the plastic and, and recyclers hate that. So we use uh, TerraCycle and so they have this program where people ship for free, you know, their, their uh, waste to TerraCycle and TerraCycle upcycle or recycle or, or repurpose the waste. Uh, we opened two years ago. We already have uh, 971, I think, location where people can send their waste. Uh, we have donation to charity as part of this because they, they do that, they can donate to charity. So a wonderful program that is consumer-facing, that increase. It's not the solution, but it increases awareness of consumer that recycling is important and it rewards them on the way. So. Mm-hmm. And so... It, a couple of things you mentioned there just make me think then it's all about the product. Sustainability is going to be really driven by the products that you sell to consumers rather than trying to behave, change their behaviours about how they consume or use those products. It's about supplying them with products that have sustainability inherently built into them. So that's the ultimate, yeah, and that's what we can really do because innovation is, is, I mean, one of our key strengths. Um, sometimes you need a little bit of partnership with consumer though to use that product sustainably. Sure. Uh, because, you know, on aerial cold water, they, it's designed to wash better in cold, but it's very hard to prevent people to use it in 60 degrees, you know? So you need a bit of a partnership of, of consumer. True. Okay, so um, jumping about a little bit here, but I wanted to ask about, um, so you mentioned you're part of the Closed Loop Fund, part of PET Core. Uh, another initiative you're part of is this climate-based the science-based, sorry, Targets Initiative, um, of which you were one of the first members, I believe. Um, So perhaps you could just talk us through that initiative and why PNG has gone down that science-based route as a way of reducing its emissions. Well, first of all, everything we do on sustainability is based on science. I mean, when when I uh, start a a sustainability programme with one of our categories, I said, first, let me tell you about your life cycle assessment. So we start with the science because... We don't do sustainability for the sake of it. We do it for impact. And so we start with where do we have the biggest impact? And the thing that is complicated is that I can't have, you know, uh, one way to do it for all categories because the impacts are different. I mean, you talk about, we talk about detergent. 80% of the impact in the uh, use phase, but you have diapers. Uh, 60 to 80% of the impact is in the supply chain. That's the material. Yeah. So, so... The, the science is the foundation of our strategy. And then from that, you integrate it into your... It informs your innovation and your communication. So on, on your question, why did we do a science-based target? Because that's the way we do sustainability. Um, and um, we have three focus areas. We have climate, water, and waste. Mm-hmm. So on climate, um, we had several goals uh, on, on uh, 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 conservation of energy in our operation, uh, which was 20% by 2020 uh, of reduction and 30% of renewable energy on the way to 100%, which is our vision. And um, But it, it felt a bit, and we were not the only one, it's a bit the, the, the goal that you do because that's what you know you can do. So we wanted to be more ambitious than that. 
And obviously, uh, with having the horizon of COP21, we said, well, how can we uh, have our ambition that is linked to what the world is trying to do, you know? Mm. And so what is our fair share of this two-degree uh, global warming maximum? Mm. Uh, so we uh, came up with this 30% of reduction of uh, greenhouse gas emissions, mm. which is... Uh, ambitious and, and, and for us, you know, we like uh, to achieve our goal. So we are, when we don't know exactly how to reach them, we are a bit uneasy, but that's, that's what I like. That's the challenge I like. And, and so we have building block in place. Uh, I'm hopeful we'll reach that goal, uh, but it's uh, sufficiently uh, stretched for us to uh, keep us on our course. Yeah, it's um, another company I've interviewed, another company I've spoken to then in the past few months that is setting goals. And this seems to be what sets a lot of companies apart from others in terms of how ambitious they are in sustainability is, is that a willingness to step into the unknown and set goals that are at a point where you don't necessarily know how you're going to reach them, you might know how you're going to get sort of halfway there, and the, the second part is kind of the disconcerting sort yeah. of dark and, and, bit that you and don't... Which is when you get the breakthroughs, because, mm. you know, you get the best of people, because that this is all the situation where business as usual, incremental is not going to cut it. Mm. So, and, and, and PNG is particularly good at that, you know, crisis situation, uh, how, you know, kind of impossible to get, that motivates people, mm. you know, they want to meet the challenge. Yeah, and, and I suppose two ways of, of, that are going to prove quite vital to get there. One is um, collaboration, um, and the other is, is probably sort of innovation as well, which I'll touch on in a minute. But on the collaboration front, um, it still needs to happen at a much broader level, in our opinion. I mean, PNG are doing quite a lot. You've already mentioned a couple of collaborative projects you're working on. But from your perspective, what needs to happen to really shift that mindset from one of competition uh, to collaboration on sustainability. You are so right. I always say, you know, um, PNG is great at co uh, competition. We are just learning our way into collaboration. Mm. And, and you are I'm fully with you. What's needed now to take it to the next level is courageous collaboration. Because I think there is, again, an element of courage here because it's in the unknown. I mean, it's... Uh, um, you know, you sit with your competitor in, in uh, industry association and you need to do it together. Mm. Um, uh, we uh, have some examples of this, which I think I was really proud to be part of this. It's the AISC, which is the Detergent uh, Industry Association. And uh, because um, we all work on detergents, and Carl Unilever's, and uh, we all have the same goal of driving cold water because we do the same life cycle assessment and get to the same conclusion, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so we said, well, what can we do together that is pre-competitive? And we said, well, educating consumers of the value of cold water um, wash is actually pre-competitive. What's competitive is to make sure you have the best product to wash in cold, right? Mm. And so in order to educate consumers as an industry, we actually went to brief an agency and we developed a campaign. It was called I Prefer 30. Uh, the very first uh, in the world, the US then uh, tried to do the same, but um, uh, you know, together collaborating to, to change consumer behavior, I think it's pretty remarkable. I mean, the only thing is that um, we are part, like many others, of the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. Mm -hmm. I am co-chairing the uh, working group on um, sustainable lifestyles. Well, what are we doing on sustainable lifestyle? I mean, it's very ambitious, but I think it's very exciting. Mm. It's all about changing the aspiration. 
because if what uh, is the expression today, I mean, for us, but for emerging countries, you know, they look at the West as the, you know, ultra consumption, getting the best car, you know, living big and large. What if you change that aspiration? What is the concept of the good life, which doesn't mean overconsuming, which doesn't mean wasting things and, and buying too much? So it's really changing the cultural code. Mm. And we are together on this. It's, it's collaboration to uh, working with Abbas, a uh, communication agency, so to find the new codes for the new good life, which will be an amazing life and a sustainable life at the same time. Mm -hmm. okay. So from, one, from that one buzzword to another then, uh, into innovation, um, not necessarily something that comes naturally to sustainability professionals. It's that kind of... You can, you can find yourself a little bit stuck in a mindset, I guess, of setting yourself targets that you know how you're going to reach them continually and never sort of thinking outside of the box, perhaps more longer term. So from your perspective, how important is it to be able to adopt uh, an innovative mindset, not just yourself, but within your sustainability team and within the wider team? It's completely central mm. uh, because sustainability, the way we want to do it, is a no trade-off strategy. When I talked about our vision, I said we want to develop products that delight consumer and have a smaller footprint. It is quite easy to do a green detergent which doesn't clean. Mm. You just put water, yeah. a little bit of scent. Mm. Okay? That's not what delights consumer. Maybe a small portion actually, and we call them the extreme green, you know, 15% of the people would say, I'm fine with that because my clothes are not dirty anyway. Mm. Okay? But the mainstream consumer, two-thirds of the people say, I absolutely want to do something for the environment, but don't take me wrong, I don't want to give up on price, don't want to pay more for this, I don't want to give up on performance, I don't want to give up on convenience, and I don't want to give up on aesthetics, okay? Figure it out, you know? And so only innovation can break those trade-offs. Mm -hmm. So we just literally two weeks ago launched the first Thai detergent which is a green tide, but it's a tide. So tide detergent. Tide pure clean. So tide is the the IL in the US, right? Right, I see. Okay. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 And so uh, it's uh, uh, the performance of tide, mm -hmm. but it's sixty five percent bio based. It's the first USDA uh, approved detergent. It's uh, hundred percent recyclable. It's powered by hundred percent green energy. It's um, uh, no dye. Uh, so it, it's really green it's as people future, want it. The future. It's a future. Yeah. How were we able to do that? Innovation. Mm. Amazing. Okay, so uh, probably time to wrap up then. I um, wanted to ask you two quick-fire sort of questions um, as a way of ending this discussion. Um, first, I mean, you mentioned we're now in this kind of post-Paris world. We've got the SDGs, so we've got a nice framework there. Um, what does the future look like for uh, the FMCG industry when it comes to sustainable business how optimistic are you that in sort of another five years time five six years time we're going to be in the right place to actually be part of a circular economy and, and a low carbon economy i'm very optimistic because i tried to be pessimistic and it didn't work <laughs> so um we will make it and two condition i think we already talked about it but the first is we need to take innovation to the next level so what does it mean for a company like png is that um we actually just created a job uh, which is 100% sustainability R&D, working cross businesses. And so it's really intercepting at the very front end, because if you try to do sustainability when the product is about to go to the market, it's going to be more expensive, mm. less effective, mm. uh, and we don't want to do that. So it's very, very early on that you 
integrate sustainability criteria. So going really to the next level on innovation and going to the next level on collaboration and, and finding new partnership to, uh, to meet the challenges that, you know, we could say that so far we've done the low-hanging fruit. To get to the next step, it's going to be through collaboration. Mm. Um, okay, and the, the final, final question then was, uh, I mean, we've talked about being a good storyteller, we've talked about being able to wear different hats at different times, being an innovator, so lots of different skills that a sustainability professional in the modern day has to have. Um, but what one skill, if there was one skill, perhaps if you were going to go back five years and sort of tell yourself that there was one skill you should really hone in on as a sustainability professional to really drive change in an organisation, what one skill would you recommend to listeners of this podcast to, to really try and perfect? All the soft skills. All of the soft skills. <laughs> of influencing. Mm. Because it's about change management. Mm. So it's the influencing skill and as a skill and as a character trait is courage. Mm. So with that, we can win in that space. Optimistic note to end on. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much for HK London for, for organising this interview and, and a big thank you to you, uh, Virginie, for all of your insight and inspiration here this You're morning. Welcome. Thank you. Pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.